This is the Music Innovation Podcast. Today with Sofa Sound. Hello and welcome to the Music Innovation Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Florian Willisch. And in this podcast, I'll be interviewing innovators in the music industry, people who build new tools or who use existing tools in new ways. What I'm ultimately interested in is to discover how innovation and creative thinking can improve the music industry end to end, from the artist to the industry to the fan. So you probably ask, who is this guy and why does he do this? Two good questions. For almost 20 years, I've heard everyone say that the music industry was dead, that you couldn't make money with music anymore. Now we know that the file sharing crisis created a vacuum. It created a need to break the status quo and open space for innovation. As a result, after 10, 15 years of struggle, I'd say we've now arrived in a golden age for the music industry. The crisis plus technological advancements meant that fantastic new business ideas and tools and solutions were created. And during that time, I've been involved in innovation firsthand in various ways myself. Amongst other things, I worked on the Apple App Store in its very early days, and later I helped to put Apple Music together, two major institutions at the crossroads of music and tech. That's how I got curious to hear what other people were cooking up in terms of music business innovations. And that's why I'm making this podcast, to talk about innovation in the music industry from big and small players, but always to make things better for artists and fans. So this podcast is for you if you're interested in the music industry or just generally in startups. Maybe you work in the industry and want to know what's going on around you. Maybe you're interested in tech and love music. Or you're an artist or manager wanting to know about the newest tools. In all those cases, this is for you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and uh, leave me a review. That really helps other people find the podcast too. And any businesses, bands or links that we discuss in the interviews can be found in the show notes on musicinnovationpodcast.com. In this episode, we're talking to Ray Foffer. He's the founder of Sofa Sounds. You probably know Sofa Sounds. They organize intimate concerts in alternative venue. So anything from the living room to an office to a church, anything that isn't intended to host a concert, really. They're now in more than 400 cities around the world. And um, I really see this as a fascinating lesson of how to follow your passion, help artists, manage to scale a project worldwide, and so many more things. So I hope you enjoyed the interview. Hello, Ray Foffer. Um, thank you for taking the time to to uh, speak to me on this uh, podcast. Um, you are the CEO of uh, Sofa Sounds. Well, actually, it seems like that's changing, so we're going to talk about that. Um, well, thank you, first of all, for taking the time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, so... A lot of people know Sofa Sounds. Uh, not everyone uh, knows Sofa Sounds. So, so uh, you know, I would like to talk a little bit about um, what it is and where the idea came from. But maybe to start, we can talk a little bit about you and your background and maybe how you got to the music world, because I believe that that wasn't uh, always uh, what you were in. Correct. <laughs> I had actually nothing to do with the music 
industry for a long time. And my background is simply as a innovation and marketing uh-huh. guy uh, working for big companies. Okay. And I am American. I did uh, a number of years in California with Walt Disney. And yeah. after Disney, I went to Coca-Cola uh-huh. in Atlanta. And then a few years later after that, I came to London, my dream city. <laughs> okay. It always was? Always, since the time I was a little boy. Mm. Okay. I thought that this was the coolest place because of the music scene. All right. So while I haven't worked in the industry, I've always been a fan of music. And so I listened to all these great English musicians growing up and thought that this would be a great place to live one day. Yeah. And then I came here with my family on a holiday and visited my cousins who were crazy, (laughs) crazy artists. And that solidified my dream to sort of find a way to move here one day. Um, and uh, and so how did that, that uh, you know, corporate world then, then move into uh, Sofa Sounds? So Sofa Sounds happened while I had a job uh-huh. and I was at a gig with some friends and just really frustrated okay. by the fact that there was these amazing musicians performing and the room was full of people talking uh, and yeah. texting. Yeah. And not being in the moment. Yeah. And the bar was open, it was loud. Mm-hmm. And it was at that moment that I thought with my friends that we should just leave and think of a better way to enjoy music. And I just did this as a hobby for five years. All right. It started with one in a living room because we figured people would be encouraged to be quiet. Yes. And... We invited those friends along and a few friends of eight or nine people. And we just said, just focus, just be in the moment. Yeah. And we were excited because it was so quiet. You could like hear a pin drop. Uh And all we were, were about the music instead of everything else, the phones and the talking and the beer and all that stuff. That went away. And that was just completely magical. It wasn't new at all to the world. People have had music in houses for centuries. Yeah. But on that night, it was very new to <laughs> us. <laughs> and that was how So Far Sounds was born. It was years of doing this for fun. And so then it became a, a mailing list. Uh, how do you move from, you know, a one-time thing to it actually becoming something more... I think you just do it a second time and a third time <laughs> and a fourth time because yeah. it's fun. Okay. And then there was just a following, just people who wanted to come because they liked it too. And we were really obsessive then and now about who plays. We wanted people who we thought were really good mm-hmm. and could excite us to play in front of us. Like how cool would it be to have this talented artist play? But we also always felt that music is a very subjective thing. So we made it a group decision from the beginning. Okay. Democracy. So if someone's band wanted to play, we would have some beers and pizza and sit around and listen to the music and decide whether it 
felt right. So it just grew to the point where it was so busy that I couldn't do it as a hobby anymore. Yeah. And it was uh, my wife saying, that's enough. <laughs> you know, it's like 20 hours a week. You know, a hobby is a hobby. Yeah. So it was at that point where we said, let's figure out one day if we can make this a job we love instead of just a hobby we love. So for people that don't know, actually, how do you define what Sofa Sounds is? Yeah, it's simply intimate gigs, yeah. concerts in small spaces uh, where most of them are secret as okay. a way to find out about new music. New music. Uh, it's a place where we like to say where music matters. Uh-huh. And we create an environment where there's really not much talking, except if it's related to singing along or something. Yes. So it's three acts, and they're different, and i.e. there can be completely different genres. Yeah. And it's just 20 minutes, 25-minute sets. Okay. And you bring your own beer or whatever, your uh-huh. drinks. It's in a living room or other spaces that are not a traditional space. Yes. So that's, you, you figure it out. It could be an art gallery or a church or the top of a ski jump, which we did once in Oslo. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that's all it is. Yeah. And I guess what's important is what it's not is a event where those same rules, when you go to, a, let's call it a traditional gig with all the focus on selling drinks and all the talking and all the phones in the air. That's yes. what it's not. Yeah. Do you, you said it's secret most of the time. Um, that means the location is secret and the artists are secret. Is it's, that right? The location is secret, yes. The location is secret because it just got overran in the early days. You know, there were more people than we could fit. Yeah. So we did it just not to reveal the address until later. I see. And people like that, so yeah. we kept doing that. The artists are secret because that allows them to all get new fans on the night. Uh-huh. A normal gig, you have to go out and find fans who you know, who know yes. you. Yeah. So it's harder to grow your fan base. But for us, it's unknown who's playing. So often people get all new fans. And that's really exciting for the bands. The other reason we don't announce who plays is we don't want people to pick favorites. So, you know, on a normal gig night, yeah. you come and you're there for the main act. I see. But you don't really want to listen to the other act, so you go out and smoke a cigarette or talk or wherever. So for us, because it's all a discovery, we find that there's no support and no main act. It's all yes. equal. I think it's very interesting what you've what you've created and I've read that I mean you talk a lot about community mm-hmm. um, and and I guess that's kind of what you're saying uh, right now it seems like while everyone comes for the music it actually is as much about the people that are there for the music than the musicians the whole thing together is what creates um, that thing Totally. The people who come are real music fans because they go somewhere where they don't know where it is. They don't know who's playing. They're yeah. just there to experience 
music and discover stuff and meet other people. Loads of people have met other people at these events. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. And so it is a proper in real life community, not like one that yes. <laughs> is made up that some marketeer says is a community online. We're really all there. And it's spread around the world. And so wherever you go, you meet people in this community, whether it's New Zealand or New Mexico, it's a feeling of I'm here with other people who love music and who love being in the moment. Yeah. Um, can you, about that community, um, there's, a, there's a story also that I read about you um, at an event meeting an, an actress Do you know, uh, can, you, can you tell my listeners about that? About sure. That? Yeah, I was at an event and I was talking to an, a woman. I didn't know who it was. I was speaking to her about music. And then we started speaking about acting because I asked her what she did for a living. And she yeah. said, she's an actress. I couldn't spot a celebrity for the <laughs> life of me. So I just started talking to her about acting because I knew a little bit about how hard it is to become yeah. uh, a sustainable acting actress yeah. or actor. And so I talked to her for a while, and then she had to excuse herself before the music started to go to the toilet. And then a friend told me that the person that I was giving acting advice to was Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> I think it's... Um, I, 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 you know... I, I wanted my listeners to hear hear that story because, again, as well, I think it uh, talks to how you managed to create this level playing field uh, at the events where the audience is, uh, well, everyone's the same and mm. the musicians probably are also closer to the fans, the fans are closer, and everyone is just much more on one level. So. We're all equal. Yeah. <laughs> We don't play favorites. Well, It's, um, I think it's actually, you know, that in itself is really innovative because uh, now all the live experiences that you see now um, are more and more tiered. And, and the industry is celebrating that because they're managing to make more money with still having very um, low budget tickets, but also very, very high uh, price tickets. So, yeah, that's one view. But on the other hand, I find that it also creates a sort of class uh, system in in these live events, right? At a Jay-Z concert, there's the people that can pay 2,000 bucks for, for the VIP ticket. Um, and they have their champagne and everything. And then there's the one who pays 20 bucks and who basically sees a, an aunt on, on the stage. Um, and that seems to split the audience more than anything else so, um, agreed <laughs> you were saying about the the artists that you decide together what, what is your process to decide you know where you're going to have the the events and and who is allowed to play at them it's very simple each city we're in mm -hmm. has a city leader and a small city team okay and they find the venue they have a list of artists They then have a democratic vote together. And sometimes if it's a bigger city like London, they have a larger community of people who listen and vote. And they invite the people and they run their own, their own local community and their own local events. And with the artists, some come to us and some we reach out to. Okay. 
In a smaller city, let's say The Hague, there may be a five-person team there. Connor, who leads it there, makes sure all those things happen. And to your question, they all pick the artists as a team. Some are local, in that case, in that, in that country. But others might be touring through and they might find a spot for them. You have uh, some very big artists that have played uh, at at uh, Sofa Sounds. You really have any any size artists, I suppose. Um, can you give me some examples, just uh, for the audience, some some names they will know? Well, the point is that they were not big when okay. they played. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that's always is, like that. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. There have been one or two exceptions, one or two events where. We were raising money, for example, for the refugee crisis. I see. With Amnesty International, and we had the National, Ed Sheeran, okay. you know, a few others that would have been well-known. But 99% of our gigs, they're unknown. And it's just that they became famous later. Some of it was maybe we had a small part of that because we got them a fan base when they were unknown. For example, Bastille, no one knew them when they played. Right, yeah. For example, Josier, people didn't yeah. really know him. A few did. Leon Bridges, uh, he never, he, people didn't know him when he played. And then we created a video for him that we know helped him early on a bit okay. in his development. Uh, James Bay, Wolf Alice, George Ezra, All right. and many yeah. others. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah. And so you come to our events and you really never know who you're going to see. Yeah. And you never know where they're going to get to uh, in terms of their profile, which is really exciting. So I guess um, I was going to say, what does the artist have from it? I suppose then it is it is a special exposure for them to play at uh, Sofa Sounds. The thing that they say most regularly that they love is that it's a listening room. Okay. They don't get that, uh, especially the newer artists. They don't get it where it's quiet and focused. It's very rare. It's sad. I wish it happened all the time. Yeah. But that's the number one thing. And then in cities where we are a company, you know, in countries where we're a company, they get paid always. Oh, okay. Always. So that's only three countries uh-huh. out of uh, almost 70. Yeah. But where it is ticketed, they'll every time they get money, and then many of them get videos. So there's a whole package. But it starts with the silence or focus, let's call it, in the room. And from there, there's money for them. There's promotion. There's a chance to play in front of a somewhat influential audience. I see him. Yeah. We've had 40 40 acts go on to be nominated or win Grammys, as an example. Wow. And I mean, they were, they, we were there at the beginning Yeah. for most of them. So it's a whole package. And we put this together because that's what they want. They want something quiet. They want to be able to play in other cities. And we'd love to support that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I think Sofa Sounds is uh, it's like a prime example of the companies that I... Um, want to talk to on, mm. on this podcast because it's all about inno- innovation and I find that you guys manage to innovate um, yeah like the pure definition of, of innovating and what's fascinating by that is always again 
how simple it seems. Um, it seems like it's always the most simple things that are the 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 best things. And I don't you you are a professional in innovation, I guess. But I'm wondering if that's if you think that has had a uh, you know a role to play your your background in being able to create this very innovative yet extremely simple concept. I think it had a massive impact. Uh-huh. I think working for. 15 years in innovation in big companies, you learn a lot about what not to do. Yeah. And you learn about what works. And innovation for me is another word for problem solving. So you find yeah. something that annoys you in some way, and then the reverse of that is, well, how can I solve that? And it could be about anything. It could be, so for example, a Coca-Cola I was working on the team that added lemon to the Coke. Yeah. And what what did annoy what annoyed us? Well, the fact that people would drink Coke and always have to go and ask for lemon to put in the Coke. Okay. So then we made a Coke that had lemon in it, uh-huh. or vanilla in Coke. So I think it's what what is it that bothers you uh, is one way of looking at it, and how can you solve that? And I think what I learned in big companies is a process for doing that. Yes. And a realization that it can be done. But the idea is really the smallest part of it. Yes. The biggest part is going out and acting on it and having a process and energy to solve what is in front of you as a problem. Yes. The other thing I learned was thinking global. I'm working for Disney, you know, Coke, big company. I worked for Diageo as well over here, drinks company. Uh They're global. And so from the very beginning of so far, I always thought, is this a problem and an opportunity that goes beyond London where we started it? And the answer was yes. What I note with that is, is um, I mean, it is simple. Uh, you know, it's a simple idea, maybe. Mm. But even, even what you said about artists, uh, that what they wanted is to um, just, you know, have a listening audience. Actually, that anyone could have done that, right? The way you started. Just invite people into your living room and, and offer a band to play there. Anyone can do that. But um, I guess that's, uh, that's where, you know, you, that, that you guys do have something special is the, the operation, that, that, uh, how, how you put it in place. I think the secret uh, aspect of it really helped and maybe mm. that's, what you were saying about, you know, how to, how to do these things. That's what you, what you learned. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's it, as so often, I guess it's the, the actual, uh, putting in place of an idea that's, that's key not only the idea. Yeah. Thank you. I think that with us, it was a global community that was very different and that this thing called Zofar was growing around the world and that people felt when they moved to a new city, they could start it up. Yes. When they traveled to a new city, they could meet new people and hear music yes. that they wouldn't normally be exposed to, maybe in a new area of Paris where they hadn't been before. So there's a lot of checking out new stuff. Yeah. But we knew that the experience would be similar around the world. And well, that was important to us, that it would be quiet, that it would be focused, that it would never be too big an event. Uh, that the music would be strong and local. Yeah. So uh, actually, um, that's a very good, uh, you know, point 
that I'm really curious about. Um, what, as you just said, one of these the huge things, and from the beginning, uh, what was really important to you is the global aspect of it. How did you manage to to scale this globally? Um, to I mean, it's crazy. What is it? Two hundred and twenty something cities you're in now. Four hundred and twenty-six. Four hundred and twenty-six cities. And probably by the time the podcast is live, <laughs> it'll be a few more. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, that that's uh, mind blowing for you know all these projects, startups, and that that you know are just breaking their 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 brains on how to. Um, how to move to other places. Because particularly, I guess I'm saying that because I, I, you don't, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you have employees in all these countries. Um, you have found a way to, to do this without, um, again, it, by innovating, doing it a different way. Can you, can you explain how, how you managed to do this? Sure. So a huge part of it is because I started it as a volunteer Yes. And did this for free for five years. And I think that energy that I and a few others brought to it spread. Uh, and it spread because people would come to our events here and go, wow, I don't live in London. I live in Bristol or I live in Berlin. Mm -hmm. And it's not there. Can I bring it there? Yeah. So part of it was, well, most of it was organic. And then when we started doing videos, people would see the videos around the world and think the same thing. It isn't here. But the key to, to sharing it and spreading it was to set up some simple guidelines yeah. and talk to people who were interested in bringing it to their city and say, anyone want to at the events? If you, I said it always. Do you want to do this in your city? Let me know. Uh -huh. And if they did, then we put together a simple set of guidelines to train them to expand it to their city. That was so important. Yeah. And that was how we did it. Keeping it super simple and keeping a set of guidelines and letting them know that they needed to stay within these simple guidelines when they launched it in their city. How, how do you, but how do you ensure that that happens? Mm. I guess that's it. I worked for Apple <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were, of course, very uh, tight always on wanting things to be exactly the way that the mothership had decided. Mm. And I've seen every day how difficult it was um, for either side, really, e either the person that says how it should be or the recipient um, to, to understand, accept, mm. and then actually do it. The way we ensure that it spreads and is consistent with how we see so far is simple. Number one, Most of the people who come to us are the right people. So for someone to reach out and say, I want this music in my city, they almost always have the right attitude uh -huh. to do this. Number two, we do hand them like a little toolkit and say, this is how you do it. Follow these. And we have a little bit of a training session. We've always done that. Number three, especially at the beginning, we would go, if we could, oh, okay. to the city and watch their, help them. Watch, help okay. them with their first event. All right. Like, let's say, the one in Brighton that I went to, which is close to London. For the one in Berlin, I went, the first one. For the uh -huh. one in New York, I, my co-founder went. Okay. So we would go and then give them a critique on the night. Then when we started videotaping it, 
and having them do it, we could see how it was. Yeah, right. And if we were to watch it, it would the music it would be wrong. Let's say the music wasn't very good, or it just didn't have the right vibe. We would talk to them about it. Okay. If they wouldn't listen, then we would probably stop it. Okay. And then the final way is we would always listen to their music choices up yeah. front. Okay. And if they had music that wasn't so nice or all the same, we would help them yeah. get to the point where the music was right. Uh-huh. So there were lots of different things, but they were all pretty simple. Um, I'd like to sp- talk a little bit about uh, the economics, I guess. Mm. Um, I, I remember myself going to some, some of your gigs um, a few years ago, and I think it was by donation. Um, you could decide whether you wanted to pay something. You, something was suggested, yeah. I guess, and, and I suppose most people do that. It's still the way you remember. So okay. it's very simple. In most of the world, it's a donation. Okay. In the countries where we've incorporated, which is the US, the UK, and Spain, we charge a ticket price. Fixed price. It's uh, fi- well, what I mean is... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it says, yeah, on a Friday, it's a certain price or... I see. Yeah, in terms of there is an amount. You only pay if you get in. You apply to come. Uh, yes. It's okay. a bit of a lottery because we're really lucky. More people want to come yeah. than we can fit. Yeah. We select who comes. If they're still free, they then pay the ticket price and they come. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that and uh, and some uh, branding um, branding uh, Sponsorship. some sponsorships uh, are, are sort of the income of the company. That's how the company lives. Exactly. We are not yet sustainable, so we're fortunate that some people have helped us. Oh, okay. With some investment mm-hmm. as a way to give us a little more time. Okay. And also people who believe in what we're doing. So hopefully in the next few years, we'll, we'll get to a point where we are sustainable as a business Yeah. while we grow. I see. Okay. That's, uh, that's very, um, I find very interesting because again, I think what's really uh, huge is in how many places you are, how many concerts you organize, etc. Um, and trying to understand how that works also economically for someone like me is um, very uh, interesting and well rather to understand that so you you work you you're still working with uh, a lot of volunteers i suppose um and and uh, it still is difficult to to make it work so going global doesn't necessarily mean that it's uh, suddenly easy or, or i guess rather the contrary <laughs> in terms of money in terms of if it's sustainable yes because Most people are doing it for fun yes. and it's been going for 10 years and yeah. that part of it will continue on. And I think it's just important that anyone who's volunteering with so far is doing it because they believe in it, they love it, and we try to manage that they spend a small amount of time on it. Those who are full-time with us, it's a different story. Yes. Uh-huh. Another question that I had was about, again, actually operations kind of. I was curious to hear how complicated or not mm. it is to organize concerts mm. in places that are not supposed to be for concerts. So you're putting 30, 50, 100 people in a location. I'm sure it varies by, by countries, but 
to me, that would have been my first thought. I would have thought, oh, no, I can't, I can't do this business because it will never be, uh, you know, legally sustainable. <laughs> we ignored all that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and I think the key was we never thought of it as a business. So I think if okay. we thought of it as a business, you're right, we would have been scared away by things. But also anything that is disruptive, mm-hmm. Airbnb, Uber, yeah. other types of businesses that are doing something that the world wants but is different, is going to have elements that are new and that are gray. And so we just did it because we thought it was important for music and ignored or at least were aware of the risks but just kept going and then when i think we evolved from this is really a hobby or a movement to a business then you think a little more carefully but still to do something totally different you have to do something that takes some risks yeah and you know in this case we realized pretty quickly that it's a private event mm-hmm. and a private event in most countries is private and is a very different thing that is not as involved in some legalities if it was really more superficial. Uh, So there's lots of complexities, you're right, but overall we are going into it carefully. Very interesting. Um, So actually, as I touched on in the beginning, um, you you have now announced that your, your... Stepping down, I don't know if that's the right word. Stepping to the side, maybe. Um, stepping uh, somewhere else. Stepping somewhere else as a CEO. Can, can you explain, um, you know, what's happening and uh, why? And if you're going to be still with Sofa Sound? Or? Oh, yeah. I'm still very much a very full-time. I've been thinking for two years that it would be nice to have another partner with experience who could help me with the next chapter so far. Mm-hmm. And my favorite things are this podcast, talking mm-hmm. about so far, thinking about the vision, where we headed, making yeah. sure the culture of the company is strong, yeah. speaking to artists, uh-huh. spreading the word, evangelizing. Yeah. And when we got to a certain size, I figured that it'd be good to get someone else in who, as much as I love the spreading the word and the vision part, that person would love the operations. Mm-hmm. And then somebody who would compliment me with a different set of experience. Yeah. And that's, you know, always um, hard to find somebody to share your, you know, the leadership of your baby to. But when I met Jim, Jim Lucchese, and I'm sure I pronounced it wrong. <laughs> when I met Jim, I realized there was somebody who had great experience that was complimentary to mine mm-hmm. and could help with us in the next phase phase of the journey. And he was really excited about so far. And we got to know each other over two years before okay. I realized, hmm, now might be a good time for me to have a new role as chairman of the board. So I'm still looking after mm-hmm. my baby. Yeah. And full time in the business as founder carving out a role that works with Jim to, to my strengths. So it's really exciting. Uh, it's a relief in some way because after 10 years, it's nice to, to share those, some of those yeah. responsibilities. And most importantly, we've got somebody who 
ran the Echo Nest. It's a great company that was mm-hmm. eventually bought by Spotify and had a beautiful technology that helped with the Discover Weekly and all the matching software of mm-hmm. Spotify. Yeah. And he's a drummer mm-hmm. and a lot of other great things. So that's where we got to. And that's why I'm excited and learning from him every day. And we're working together super well. So what uh, are the next steps for Sofa Sounds? Is there already something we can, uh, you know, think of? I think the next step is for the new CEO to work with me to learn the ins and outs of the business. Okay, yeah. And then after we've given him a period of embedding, then come up for some exciting news that will all be about the artists. Okay. All be about how we can support the musicians in our network and keep this experience going, expand it, but add some new things. Oh. So we'll definitely be talking about that in, in the coming months and years. Sounds very exciting. I've got two closing questions for you that I ask every um, guest. Uh, the first one is, um, is, there, is there, in terms of innovation or you know, tools or... Is there any sort of gaps that you see in the market, in the music industry, things, pain points, basically, that you'd like to be solved by others because you don't have the time? Yeah, I I think for me, I'm so artist-led. I just think that the fact that musicians have to be entrepreneurs today Mm -hmm. and money makers, Mm -hmm. business led, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, creative people is too much. I completely agree. And I don't think there's enough support for how to navigate this new world. It's interesting, yeah. I think it's exciting because now an artist can make some money that they couldn't make before, maybe enough to be sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. Yeah. But the pace of technology and the options and the platforms and the social media are overwhelming. Yeah. So in that great opportunity, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of difficulty. And I think they need more tools, more guidelines, more support. Yeah. Almost like a phone number they can call <laughs> for advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and then the last question is uh, one or two bands that you would like to recommend to our listeners. That's so unfair. Yeah, that must be difficult, (laughs) actually. I didn't realize what I was saying there. (laughs) Well, I just heard someone I hadn't heard before who just rebranded, changed his name. He's called Lava Kiss, L-A-V-A-K-I-S-S. I I don't think his music is even online yet. You might find him on Spotify. You will hear him. In the next few months, uh-huh. he's a South African guy right. who's reinvented his music from more rap to all about the songs. And I think these songs are really strong. There's a band in New York that's played so far quite a bit, like Lava Kiss. And they're called Balin, B-A-I-L-E-N. They're a brothers and a sister act. Okay. A family from somewhere in New York. Really uh, up and coming, beautiful songs. Great. And 
I mean, I could throw a ton more. No, 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 no that's, uh, that's completely I'm fine. I'm going to hear Gary Clark Jr. in June. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. Welcome. I, I, uh, I love what you do. Thank I, you. I think uh, this was really interesting too. And actually the news that you gave us of you stepping to the side and working now with someone that specifically has different you know, strength in you, I think just sort of underlines what uh, a smart person you are. So, so uh, thanks a lot for sharing all of that with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. That was Rafe Offer from Sofa Sounds. You can find links and all the bands and businesses that were discussed in the show notes on musicinnovationpodcast.com. Thank you to Rafe um, and Patience and the whole team at Sofa Sounds for having me in the London office. Um, if you like this episode, please be so kind and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts that helps others find it. And also subscribe so that you get the next episode uh, as soon as it comes out. And if you have suggestions or comments, please uh, contact me via the website. Um, and that is musicinnovationpodcast.com. Thanks a lot for listening and have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.